Welcome to episode 11 of Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Sobalski, the author of Second Story Work. Thanks so much for joining me. In last week's episode, we listened to chapter 26. The boys found out that someone had put a hit on them, and Derek, Hecky, and Messy returned to Vancouver to find out that there had been a murder in their home. This week, we're going to be listening to chapter 27. Hope you enjoy it. Chapter 27 August 2009 The Devil's Grip had broken into the house and taken Arlov and Messy hostage. Five Grip members stood behind them as they were sitting on the couch. Their heads hung low. Derek knew that the boys were in way over their head. This was his worst fear coming true. They'd gotten involved with biker gangs. They were owned, and he knew it. The leader of the Grip was Dennis Bell. A large, menacing-looking man. He was six foot seven, with slick jet black hair and dark black beard with hints of gray. His obsidian black eyes stared a hole through everything he looked at. His massive arms were covered with tattoos, and he wore a leather cut and jeans. Your boys told us quite the story while we were clocking, said Dennis. International drug trafficking, armed robbery, second story work. You boys have quite the flow. What do you want? Asked Hecky. Have you ever seen someone skinned alive? Dennis retorted. No, answered Hecky. You want to? Not really, Hecky answered once again. Dennis pointed at Hecky. Then think about that the next time you decide to sling in the devil's grip. We aren't slinging, said Hecky. No, new Jack. You're bringing Charlie to my competitor. What do you want from us? First thing, we're jacking this shipment. Dennis nodded his head and grinned. Several teeth missing. Next, we're taxing you. What kind of tax? Derek asked. 250, Dennis replied. Hecky looked over at Derek with a look of concern. Derek nodded his head. He didn't care. They'd still be well ahead of the game. He knew that they'd be out a few hundred grand, plus the 450 they would have made on delivery, but it was a small price to pay for what they'd already achieved. Okay, replied Hecky. How long do we have? 14 days, Dennis stated. Or we come back here, and we really flex some muscle. Jesus Christ, thought Derek. This wasn't their muscle. The grip kept all eyes on the boys as they put their guns down by their sides and walked backwards out the door. Hecky freaked. What the fuck happened? They're lying in wait, said Messi. They knew where we lived, where we'd been. Jesus Christ, we're out 700 grand. Fuck, screamed Hecky. Who cares, Hecky? This is a sign that we're done. It is over. We pay them their money and we're fucking ghost, Derek continued. We made our money, boys. Let's just move on and stop having to watch our six. Hecky yelled, I want to light these fuckers up like the Vegas Strip. Well, stated Derek calmly, we aren't going to do that. You want to go toe-to-toe with the biker gang? Are you fucked in the head? They disrespected us again, yelled Hecky. I'm sick of it. Would you rather be dead and respected or alive and wealthy? Think about that one, Hecky. Fuck off, Sarge. Don't play that Sophie's Choice shit on me. It doesn't work. What do you think will happen, Hecky? Asked Derek. They have more men, more guns, more pull. We lose that war 10 times out of 10. Hecky paced the room. We'll pay the money, finally resigning to the fact that it was a fight that he couldn't win. That evening, the boys drove to their storage unit to collect the tax money. Derek navigated through heavy traffic during rush hour. 
They were a few blocks away when Derek noticed a suspicious GMC following three cars back. It had been there since they left the house. Guys, said Derek as he checked his rearview mirrors, we have a tail. Only one of you look. It's the envoy three cars back. Fucking great, said Hecky. I'm going to pull in and out of the parking lot to see if they follow. Derek did a U-turn into a parking lot and pulled back into traffic. The envoy pulled into the parking lot as the boys pulled out. It was a tail. Fuck, yelled Derek. What do we do? We can't go into the unit. We can't go home, said Hecky. The boys were stuck between a rock and a hard place. Let's get a hotel, Arliff suggested. If they tail us there, who cares? The next morning, they checked out of their hotel and jumped back into the edge. As they were headed back to the storage unit, Derek's gut told him to circle the facility to see if anything looked suspicious. He pulled into the parking lot and drove around the entire building. Halfway around it, Arlov noticed a moving truck slammed shut from the inside. Yo, you see that? Derek's first thought was the movie Heat. Pacino and his crew lock themselves in the U-Haul while they wait for De Niro's crew to pull their heist. He knew that the cops would have seen them pulling into the parking lot. They were sitting on the storage facility. And more importantly, they were sitting on the boys' only cash. They had 13 days to come up with a quarter million dollars and no money to give. Trouble was brewing. Fuck's sakes, said Hecky. We need that money. It's not thorough, Hecky, Derek shot back. Arlov spoke up. Why don't we lure them out? How so, asked Messi. Arlov continued. We rent a unit near our unit. We enter it. We walk out with a duffel bag and we find out whether or not this is a hot place. They'll grab us if they're here. If they aren't, we'll know that too. Then maybe, just maybe, if they're convinced we don't have anything, they'll pull surveillance. It's worth a shot, said Messi. The boys drove around the storage unit to the front of the building. They parked. Derek went inside and spent 10 minutes signing up for a second storage locker three doors down from their original. He hoped they'd see the boys leave the decoy locker and swarm them. Derek got his key and drove to their decoy locker. Hecky, Messi, and Arlov jumped out of the vehicle, opened the locker door, and went inside. Derek backed up against the unit door and parked. He jumped out of the edge, lit a cigarette, and paced in front of it. He played with his cell phone as the boys stood inside the empty locker, waiting with the door shut. After a few minutes, Derek butted out his smoke and put his phone away. He looked both ways and opened the unit door. Messi, Hecky, and Arlov emerged with a duffel bag. Arlov shut the door and the boys jumped back into the edge. Derek started the engine. Cut the fucking engine, yelled a police officer as he emerged from his hiding place, gun up, and ran towards the car. Nine armed officers quickly swarmed the boys and surrounded the edge. The officer continued yelling. Hands in the air. Open your door with one hand using the outside handle. The boys put their hands in the air and surrendered. They slowly opened their doors, exiting the car, and lay face down on the pavement. One of the officers grabbed the duffel bag out of their car and set it on the ground. The officers frantically searched through the bags, looking for money, dope, or anything that could incriminate the boys. They searched the car as well, but the duffel bags were full of laundry, and the car had nothing incriminating in it. After 10 minutes, Anna emerged from behind one of the banks of storage lockers, holding a document in her hand. Derek could see her talking to one of the other agents. She walked over to the boys and dropped the paper on the ground for Derek to read. There's a warrant to search your locker. You can't do that, Derek hollered back. 
It's already done, Anna said, as she motioned to one of the officers to cut the lock off the locker. Cut it. The officer began cutting the lock and opened the door to show the other officers and everyone else an empty locker. God damn it, screamed Anna. We just got this locker this morning, yelled Derek. We just wanted to see how big it was. Anna stormed over to Derek. Get him up, Anna continued. I know what you're up to, Derek. What are you talking about, Anna? I know you're hiding something, and I will find it. We're putting extra furniture in here, Anna. Bullshit, said Anna as she paced. You and these idiots are into something. I fucking know it. What you know and what you can prove are two completely different things, yelled Hecky from the ground. You know what, guys? That's fine, said Anna. I am going to keep a crew here 24-7. If you have something here, you will not get it back. Ever. If I have to pay a security guard out of my own pocket, I will. Uncuff them. The officers began to stand the boys up to their feet, and they were let out of their handcuffs. Derek walked towards the edge, which had been torn apart by the officers. The boys climbed inside, and Derek drove them out of the complex. Hecky was about to say something when Derek interrupted him. Shut up. Derek figured that there was a 100% chance that Anna's crew had bugged his vehicle. Back at the house, the boys went to the backyard and began to talk. Okay, started Derek. What do we do now? We got shit to cover and no fucking money. We need work, said Hecky. It needs to be lucrative and it needs to be immediate. Jobs like that, they're not just going to pop out of thin air, said Massey. Can't just walk into a bank and rip off a quarter. We could jack a tin can, said Hecky, jokingly referring to an armored truck. It was then that Derek remembered the truck in Renfrew. The one no one would think to rob. He jumped to his feet. Boys, I have our fucking job. October 5th, 2009. The boys finished their conversation with the police and left. Derek then drove them to a hotel where they checked in for the night. The mood was somber. The boys had just identified Arlov's body. With the hell he went through, he might have given them up. None of them would have blamed him if he did. The police told the boys to stay in the hotel for a few days while they completed their investigation at the house. They were stuck in their rooms, waiting for the police to shake the right tree and make an arrest. Derek felt helpless. He sat on his bed feeling sorry for himself when his phone rang. It was Mandy. Hey, Derek. Hey. How is everything? It was our roommate. Oh my God, Derek. I'm so sorry. It's awful, Mandy. Police are at our house and it's, it's just a mess. Do you want me to come there, Derek? I do. B but not this week. We're stuck in a hotel. Police don't want us there in case somebody comes back. Derek didn't want Mandy in that part of his life. He was falling in love, and he knew that the evil in his life would chase her away, or do worse. You know, said Mandy as she hesitated, they have hotels here. They do? Derek asked as he smiled. I should come back, eh? You should, Derek. Let me sleep on that. I think I might. I need out of Vancouver. Okay, Derek. Tell your friends I'm thinking of them. Good night. Good night, Mandy. Derek hung up the phone and walked to the common area of the suite. Hecky and Messi were on the couch watching a ball game. The Yankees were playing the Angels. Yanks are out west? Derek asked. Yeah, Messi nodded. Derek walked to the kitchen and poured himself a scotch. He took his drink over to the living room and sat down on the couch next to Messi. You guys all right? Derek asked. Nope replied Hacky. I just keep thinking about our love, said Messi. Yeah, I know. Derek took a deep breath. What are we doing here, boys? 
asked Hecky. What? Derek followed up. I mean, what are we doing? Hecky followed up with another question. Are we dipping town? Are we waiting for the five to slap bracelets on us? Or are we going to murk these guys? Murk who? Derek wondered. We don't even know who to go after. Well, the grip, said Hecky. We don't know it was them, Messi cut in. Come on, Messi, replied Hecky. Who else was it? Maybe it was the police, Derek stated emphatically. Why would the cops do that? Really, why would the cops do that? Asked Hecky, gesturing with his hands. Because we made them look like goofs, answered Derek. Look, I agree, it was probably the grip. But we're not going to flex with them. We don't have any help. We don't have any money, any guns, or any access to any of the above. We paid the tax. We just go tell them we have nothing left to give. We don't have anything left. Fuck that, said Hecky. We gave them 250K. We walked it in there and gave it to them. We were done with it. And they went back on the deal. I'm calling Maddie to get some help. Or at the very least, some protection. September 2009. Derek put a sheet of paper on his living room coffee table and began to draw a map of the area he was talking about in Renfrew. He pulled up Google Street View to a system. The boys looked on as he began to talk them through the plan. Pretty fucking simple, boys. Every Thursday morning around 11 a.m., a tin can parks on Raglan Street. One driver stays inside, and the passenger makes the exchange. I've checked a few times. There doesn't ever appear to be a third man. The second man, the passenger, uses a dolly to carry cash and coin. It's stacked halfway to the top every single time. But on the last Thursday, before the 28th of every month, there's an extra bag. What's the bag? Asked Arlov. Welfare, Derek replied. It's an extra bag which makes it heavier and harder to move, but it's obviously more lucrative. So how do we get the bags from him? Hecky asked. I'll get to that, Derek answered. There's a sidewalk that he has to lift the cart over. When he lowers his head, we bum rush him from his six. We park the car as close as we can, passenger exits and approaches the guard, and another one comes from behind the post office across the street. You can see it here on Google Street View. Our passenger sprays the guard, could use mace, bear spray if we can get it, but the other man watches the driver. If he exits, we mace him too, but he won't. Why not? Asked Messi. They're instructed in a robbery to keep their ass in the driver's seat so they don't give up the whole truck. Makes sense, said Hecky. So our driver pulls up at the back in the driver's blind spot and parks. Two of us load the car, jump in, and we take off down Renfrew Avenue. Now it runs perpendicular to Main Street, so to Raglan Street here. At the end of Renfrew Avenue is a trail, and that's going to lead us to another neighborhood. That street on the other side is one street away from the highway. Now we're going to drive as far down this trail as we can, and we'll have a switch car waiting on the other side. Arlov raised his hand and Derek pointed at him. I got your question, said Derek. Now an issue is that the trail's obstructed by cinder blocks. We're going to have to move them the night before so we can slip through to our switch car. Afterwards, we can just torch the original and we'll drive our switch car to two rental cars. Then we torch the switch car and we head back west. Where are we getting the switch cars? Asked Messi. Good question. We're going to have to steal them the day before. Do you know anything about boosting cars? Asked Arlov. I don't, but I have a buddy who works at a dealership. I have his code and I made a copy of his work key the last time I saw him. You've been planning this? Hecky wondered. This was my rainy day plan. And brother, it's pouring right now. Okay, what next? Asked Hecky. 
Well, we'll have to get the cars the morning of, and we'll set the switch car up on the trail in the morning, maybe 10 minutes before we actually hit the truck. Won't the dealership notice two new whips missing? Asked Messi. Maybe, but even if they check their inventory first thing, that's not till 10 a.m. And if they do check right away, then most of the five will be on the other side of town while we rob this truck. My guess is they won't notice them missing until later in the day. So, said Arlov as he thought about his question, what do we do after we get into the switch car? We take the switch car to a back road. We make a double switch. Arlov and Hecky in one car, Messi and I in the other. Cops are going to be looking for three to four guys, not two. So then we'll cruise to the 17, which is the Trans Canada. We jump on that and we're ghosts. If this is so easy, why has no one done it? Messi wondered. No one sees the angle. You know what it's like in a small town? Nobody expects this. Cops aren't prepared for it. If we end up in a firefight, they don't have the capacity to respond. How much money is in the bags? Hecky was curious. If my research is right, it should be a minimum of 250000 Maximum, 400 k Fuck, eh? Said Harlov. Questions, concerns, comments? Asked Eric. All the above? When do we go? Arlov looked over at the calendar on the wall. Five days, Derek answered. If we do this, we got to dip tomorrow. If you say yes, we need to get our shit together because we got a lot of road to cover. The boys nodded in agreement. They were in and it was on. Over in the next 36 hours, they put the wheels in motion. They packed up the guns, disguises, and tools that they would require to make their move. On Sunday night, they left the city and began the 4,800-kilometer journey from Vancouver to Renfrew. The boys would drive in four-hour shifts and only stop for gas. The less places they showed their faces, the better. Hecky drove them down Main Street in Renfrew after their 54-hour journey. They cruised past a large grocery store and past Town Hall. Derek felt a warm, nostalgic feeling falling over him. The downtown core of Renfrew had many boutiques and small businesses. They approached the corner with the bank. Derek kept his head low. He'd seen it thousands of times. He knew the route inside and out. Hecky turned down Renfrew Avenue to the trail at the end of the road. He approached it slowly, and the boys looked down it. That's a fucking tight squeeze, boys, said Hecky. You can make it, Messi followed up. Not driving a buck twenty, I can't. Boys, we don't need to speed down here, said Derek. Dude, yelled Arlov. You said they had cinder blocks here. Derek looked at the trail and noticed that they'd replaced the barrier with a steel yellow gate. Fuck! Are you kidding? asked Hecky. This is great. We'll drive right through that fucking thing. Hecky drove the boys out to where they'd parked their switch car. It was a residential area surrounding the Renfrew Arena. They studied the trail as they turned the car around in a parking lot across from the building. Hecky slowly drove the escape route. On Mattaway Park Drive, they'd have to deal with two stop signs before they could turn left on the road to Freedom, Lisgar Avenue. Hecky drove the four kilometers on Lisgar Avenue before turning right onto South McNaughton Drive, a quiet country dirt road. The first switch car would be parked there, a stone's throw from a garage. Hecky drove two kilometers past the garage and turned right onto Butler, another country road. Three kilometers later, he made a left onto Highway 60. Right on price, said Derek. Messi and I will switch here. Messi and Derek would then take Highway 60 to Haley Road, which would lead them to Highway 17. That would take them all the way back to Vancouver. The boys woke at 3.30 a.m. in their hotel. Messi, Arlov, and Derek set out to steal two getaway cars, 
while Hecky drove to park their car on Price Road. Arlov arrived at the dealership just before 5 a.m., letting the boys off down the street. They wanted to ensure that their car wouldn't be picked up on any security cameras. They masked up and walked down the street perpendicular to the car dealership. They crossed and walked through the parking lot to a side entrance of the main building. Derek opened the door and sprinted across the showroom to an alarm pad. He punched in the code as he remembered it. Accepted. On a wall in the back of the showroom was a cabinet that held the keys. Derek ran over to it and grabbed two keys for Dodge Chargers. He threw one set to Messi and kept one for himself. They walked to the exit. Derek reset the alarm before he exited the building. He locked the door and walked to his getaway car. They drove the stolen cars across town to Prince Road. On his way out of Renfrew, Derek noticed that there was a demolition crew at the Renfrew Mall tearing it down. He felt fortunate that they hadn't planned to use that area as an escape route. Derek met up with the boys in Cobden at 6 a.m. Hecky and Arlov pulled an audible and elected to park their switch vehicle in the village, 20 minutes from Renfrew. At 7.30 a.m., they finished breakfast and drove back to Renfrew. They pulled off the highway onto O'Brien Road and waited in a McDonald's parking lot. It was the longest 40 minutes of their life. October 5th, 2009. Maddie and George agreed to meet with the boys for coffee near the hotel. Messi, Hecky, and Derek were leery about leaving the safety of their room, particularly at night. They were being hunted. Anyone could take them down. The cops sitting on the storage unit meant that they didn't have any guns or any means of getting one. The boys arrived at the coffee shop first, walking inside and sitting down away from the windows. Derek chose a seat in the corner of the shop. Any attacker would need to attack him head on. Maddie and George rolled into the coffee shop a few minutes later and sat down across from them. They weren't alone. Derek got his first good look at George. He was 6'4 and in great shape. He had jet black hair that was slicked back into a neatly kept bun. Tattoos littered his light brown skin. He had sleeves of images covering his bulging biceps and the words righteous scribbled across his neck in large black writing. Walking in behind Maddie and George were two of the scariest looking men Derek had ever seen. They were covered head to toe in tattoos and piercings. They were of Mexican or Colombian descent. Derek couldn't tell. They had teardrops on their cheeks and tattoos covering their skulls. They both dressed in white t-shirts and jeans and scared the shit out of Derek. He immediately greeted Maddie and acted as if the other two men didn't intimidate him. Maddie, Sarge, Maddie replied as he nodded his head. Sorry to hear about our love. Did you hear much chatter about it? Asked Messi. Just shit on the wire. You think the grip had a hand in it? Hecky cut in. Yeah, said George, nodding his head. Them are the five, maybe. We had that thought. Hecky followed up. You guys made them look fucking dumb. George laughed. Anna wouldn't, said Derek. Anna doesn't control the whole force. Hecky cut in, interrupting Derek. Listen, said George as he leaned forward. You have a lot of heat on you right now. I'm going to need to take air on this thing and let you figure your shit out. You have two cartel guys standing at your six, said Derek. You aren't fooling us with that. Where the fuck did these guys even come from? I ain't trying to fool you, George got in Derek's face. This whole thing is Maddie's fucking fault, yelled Derek. How so, Sarge? asked Maddie. You came to us and you floated this to Hecky. We set you guys up and you've had a steady flow of that shit since. Lines are dry now, Sarge. You think I can help you? I need help. We need protection right now. So help us, please. Derek didn't like begging, 
but desperate times. Listen, man, George started. My friends back there can lend you some pieces for a price. And if you can get a beat on them, we'll help you there too. But my crew is not going to put people in front of you. It's just not going to happen. What price? Asked Derek. One of the cartel men spoke. The shit keeps changing hands on the zero. We keep the lines wet? Asked Derek. Yeah, said George, snickering. Only you're going to run tango and cash, said the cartel member. What the fuck is that? Asked Derek. Jackpot, said the cartel man. Derek was confused. He shook his head, unsure of what any of this meant. Fentanyl, you dumb fuck. I don't know what that is, said Derek. We'll be in touch, said George. Give me your key. I'll leave it on the tire. Gear will be in the trunk. The cartel member leaned into Derek and spoke quietly. If you get any ideas of skipping, best think twice. All those decapitations and Colombian neckties, they ain't for show. Derek handed Maddie his key and the boys finished their coffee. After a few minutes, they stood up and looked outside before exiting. Derek led them to the parking lot. They walked quickly to the car and Derek unlocked it. Messi jumped in the back seat and checked the trunk. Anything? Asked Derek. Duffel bag, he replied. Check it, insisted Hecky. Messi looked in the bag and sat back in his seat. Looks like about 20 pieces. The boys had an arsenal, and all it took was a deal with the devil. September 28, 2009. The boys dropped Arlov at the switch car and drove toward the bank. Messi and Derek would be the heistmen. Hecky would drive the first car, and Arlov would man the switch. They'd planned to draw straws for their roles. However, Derek volunteered to come across the street from behind the post office, since it put him at the most risk. He knew the town better than the others and felt comfortable in Renfrew. Messi had a tough gig as the one to ambush the guard. Hecky and Messi dropped Derek off next to the post office at 10.55 a.m. He masked up and hoped like hell that no one spotted him in full heist gear. He kept his weapon in a black overcoat. Minutes later, Messi radioed him to say that they were in position. Derek stood in an alley, leaning on a wall for what felt like an eternity. In reality, it was just six minutes. At 11.01 a.m., Messi got on the radio. They're here. Derek muted his radio and began to creep down the alley towards Main Street. He could hear police sirens ring out. Two cop cars turned onto Main Street and sped towards the bank. Fuck, someone spotted me. He took a few steps back and cocked his gun in case he needed to use it. The police sped towards the bank and went through the intersection right past Derek. They were headed to the car dealership. The sirens distracted the guard who had just exited the truck. He turned around to the back of the vehicle and entered the back door, closing it behind him. Derek stayed still in the shadows of the alley. The guard reopened the back door and stepped outside, his cart loaded with bags. Derek watched Messi get out of the car and creep towards the guard. Messi shielded himself from the driver's line of sight. The guard lifted the cart onto the sidewalk and Messi maced him. The guard reached for his eyes, releasing the bag into his waiting arms. Derek peeked out to see if the driver was aware of what just happened. He was reading the paper. Messi grabbed the cart and pulled it to the back of the truck. The guard fell behind the vehicle, out of the driver's field of vision. Hecky pulled his car out of the parking space up next to Messi. He opened the passenger side door. Derek charged through traffic across the street. He grabbed the money and threw it on the floor of the getaway car and shut the door. 
The guard on the ground grabbed Messi's foot and reached for his pistol with his free hand. Derek saw the guard at the last second and hit him with the butt end of his gun, knocking him unconscious. Messi opened the back door and he and Derek entered the car. Go, go, go! Hecky peeled out and made a right on Renfrew Avenue. The guard in the truck was still reading the paper. He raced down Renfrew Avenue and passed the cross streets Argyle, Lochiel, and Boncher Avenue. He then passed a local high school where students were leaving early for lunch. He was doing 120 and a 40 when he raced onto Ross Avenue, hopped the curb, and flew through the gates that blocked the Millennium Trail. He decelerated as he neared the switch car and almost lost control on the trail's loose gravel, regaining it a few seconds later. Derek could see Arlov standing next to the switch car. Hecky skidded to a stop a few feet away. He popped the trunk and retrieved two full gas cans. Arlov grabbed the money from the getaway car and loaded it into the switch. Derek poured gasoline onto the car and lit a book of matches on fire. Messi finished pouring the gas and tossed the can inside. The boys cleared out and watched Derek throw the match inside of the car and run. They loaded into the switch car with Derek driving. He raced towards Lisgar Avenue, running both stop signs before turning left onto the road out of town. In the rear view mirror, he could see dark black smoke from the switch. He stuck to the speed limit as he drove down Highway 132 towards South McNaughton Road. His shoulder checks made the boys nervous. What are you doing? asked Hecky. Relax, yelled Derek. No sense speeding. We're good. Derek turned onto South McNaughton Road and continued to drive the speed limit. He made a casual right turn onto Butler Road and followed it until he made a left onto Highway 60. A short time later, they pulled into Cobden. The car was silent as they pulled up to the switch car. Derek's chest had stopped pounding. His palms were sweaty. He couldn't hear anything but the sound of blood rushing through his ears. They had pulled off the impossible. Arlov and Hecky jumped out of the car. Hecky grabbed half the cash. Boys, said Derek as they all froze in place, be safe. They smiled, nodded, and walked towards their switch. Derek drove Messi and himself to the last switch car. Messi jumped out with the last of the money and followed Derek in the switch car as they drove out of Cobden towards Pembroke. The car had to be ditched in an out-of-the-way place. Derek spotted a desolate country road and turned onto it. He drove a kilometer off the main road and pulled over. He caught his breath before he grabbed the gas cans and doused the car inside and out. He took a deep breath of the gasoline-stenched air and lit the match. It burned in his fingers for a moment before he tossed it in the car igniting it. Messi peeled out before Derek was even in the car. Derek struggled to shut his door as they raced away. He watched in his rearview mirror as the brand new car burned and burned and burned and blew. A few hours later, they pulled into a gas station in North Bay. Messi sat quietly in the driver's seat. What did we just do? He asked. We saved our asses. This whole thing, Messi continued, it just keeps snowballing. No, bro, Derek cut in. Snowballing is what we're going to do when we roll into Canmore. I'm tired, Sarge. I'm tired of this. When we get back, I'm out. We pay our debt, and then I'm coming home. To do what, Messi? I'm going to open the hobby shop. Wow, so you're done with Van? Fuck Van, said Messi. Mid-October, 2009. Messi and Hecky shielded Derek as he carried the duffel bag into the elevator of the hotel. The weapons and accessories weighed the bag down, and he was struggling to carry it. They exited the elevator on their floor. Hecky ran ahead to open the door. 
Derek dragged the bag into the room and tossed it on the couch. Hecky unzipped it to unveil the hall. In the bag were three Bushmaster XM15 M4s, three TMPs with silencers, three Beretta 9mm, three Sig Sawyer 1911 pistols, three Glocks, and what appeared to be a single AR-15. They also included three sets of body armor, along with both smoke and hand grenades, as well as some other scary-looking devices. At the bottom of the bag was extra ammo and accessories. The boys looked at each other in awe. They now had the arms to protect themselves. They had one problem, though. They still needed to find out where the grip hung out. This bag has to be worth 100 Gs, suggested Messi. Hecky looked at the bag and shook his head. He walked to his laptop, sat down, and began typing. What are you doing, Hecky? Research, he replied. On what? asked Eric. A guy on set told me a long time ago that there's a site online that outs gangsters and their hangouts. In Vancouver? Messi asked. Yep. Hecky spun his laptop around and showed it to Messi and Derek. It was a picture of the Grips hangout with the address. A few hours later, they were parked in a rental a block from the Grips clubhouse. They watched as the members came and went. By 5 p.m., 25 members had arrived and none had left. They were having a meeting. Let's toss fucking grenades inside, yelled Hecky. And then what? Asked Derek. Have a firefight in the street? Hecky, be easy, said Messi. We aren't tangling with these guys. They will catch up to us and take us down like they did our love, said Hecky with conviction. An hour and a half later, the large clubhouse door swung open and 30 members of the grip spilled out onto the sidewalk. They jumped onto their bikes and left. Over the course of the next week, the boys watched the clubhouse every day and every day at 5 p.m., it was full. Hecky had dreams of blowing into the clubhouse, guns blazing, and killing every member. They knew that wasn't a realistic option. They might kill a few, but would almost certainly be taken down in a hail of gunfire. After seven days of spying, the boys met in their hotel room to discuss their options moving forward. Messi suggested that they take a week to decide what to do. He'd planned a trip to Pembroke to visit his family, and suggested Derek and Hecky do the same. Hecky took the week to go to Squamish, while Derek visited Mandy and Canmore. On his way out of town, Derek ditched the guns in the second storage unit and grabbed 10 grand. The cash was getting low. They would be cash poor until the cops stopped watching the storage unit. Eat It and Beat It had been sitting idle for weeks, and the boys' bank accounts had become a series of zeros, with a zero out in front. Derek knew that the time away from Vancouver would do them good. He'd hoped that by going away, it would make each of them realize that they needed to get away. Permanently. Messi was mapping his way out of town, and Derek knew that he should follow suit. But going home broke was not an option. Derek didn't have a plan for the future. All he knew was that he wanted Mandy, and he wanted to get out of Vancouver. He had his windows down and the sunroof open as he drove into the interior of BC. At the halfway point of the trip, he received a call from Danik. Hey bud, how's it going? Good, Danik. How are you? I'm good. Did you hear about the bank robbery in town? Yeah, said Derek. Someone posted about it on Facebook. What happened? Yo, a group of guys robbed an armored truck on Main Street. They burned their cars on the way out of town. Holy shit, screamed Derek. That's crazy. Did they catch the guys? No. Cops are everywhere, but I haven't heard anything. Well, you guys would be the first to know if they caught the guy. Yeah said Danik. Perks of being the local media. So what's up? asked Derek. Well, my boss wants me to cover the Olympics in Vancouver. 
Fuck, thought Derek. Not good. Oh yeah, that's awesome, he replied. Yeah, man. The only issue is my station doesn't have the money to put me up anywhere. So, so you want to know if you can crash at my place? Asked Derek. Yeah, I guess you could. Only issue is I don't know where I'm going to be. Messi is talking about moving and I might move too. I thought things were good. They are, replied Derek. But we got some offers on the truck so we might sell and start something else. Wow, that's awesome, shouted Danik emphatically. Well, buddy, think it over. We'll try to arrange something. If you're still there, let me know. I will, buddy. I love you. Can you put dad on the phone? I love you, Brosif. I'll get him. Bye, Danik. Derek waited patiently. Hey, son, said Peter, coming on the phone. Hey, dad, what's new? Oh, not much. Going to Pittsburgh next week for business. Other than that, not a whole lot. Oh, that's cool, said Derek. Make sure you check out a Penguins game. We're going to see two. That's awesome, shouted Derek. Hey, what'd you make of this robbery Danik was talking about? Shades is a gadka. Were these guys that good? Derek asked. They torched all the evidence and hurt no one. It was pretty impressive. Derek smiled to himself. Anyways, this is your dime. I hope all is well. We miss you. I miss you too, Dad. I love you. Love you too, Derek. Derek hung up the phone and immediately received a call from Hecky. Hey, dude. Hey, buddy. How's the drive? It's okay, Derek replied. Are you at your dad's? Yeah. Nice. I dropped my bags off and grabbed 10. Okay. I did too, replied Hecky. Shit's getting low, eh? Oh, I know. Hecky followed up. I think we should sell the truck, suggested Derek. You want to give up on the truck? No, Hecky. I'm just suggesting it. We need money, right? Okay. Are you looking to get out of Vancouver too? Asked Hecky. It would be nice to get away. Leave with something in our pocket. Do you want me to see if those offers are still doable? Asked Hecky. I would. Yeah, please. Okay, Sarge. I'll put out some feelers. I want to move back to Squamish anyway. Fuck Van. Fuck it, Derek agreed. October 3rd, 2009. It was evening when Messi and Derek rolled into Canmore. Their eyes had grown weary after driving for 36 hours straight. They were ready to check into a motel and get off on happy dust. They drove to a local liquor store to stock up on scotch and beer. Then they scoured Canmore for a place to score. It wasn't long before they were all set up. After scoring, they checked into a motel where they poured Johnny Blue and busted a bag of blow all over the coffee table. Derek sat down on the bed and watched Messi set down his visa, roll up a 50, and take a bump. Messi passed the bill to Derek, and he did the same. They were criminals, gangsters, bank robbers, international drug traffickers. Just a couple of small-town boys who became big-time criminals. Derek felt good about going back home and living a quiet life without the chaos. He knew that if they sold the truck, he'd have a nice chunk of money to buy a cottage and live quietly. He stopped caring about what he did for money. He could work in a factory and live comfortably. It had taken him a long time to realize that he just needed to be among his friends and family, those who could keep him on the right path. The blood and the blow rushed to Derek's brain like sprinters towards a finish line. He took a sip of his scotch and watched Messi take another bump. Derek noticed that there were little piles of coke all around the room. Messi was out of control. Better put the D&D sign out front, said Derek. Messi nodded his head. Derek took another hit. 
then another. Another scotch, a hit, fast and loose. He needed to stop. He stood up, gained his faculties, and walked to the bathroom. He locked the door behind him and looked in the mirror. Derek Searson was not who he once was. In fact, he'd become a lot of things that he never wanted to be. A drug addict, an alcoholic, a mess of a human being. The only thing he held on to was that, despite all the craziness, he'd never killed anybody. Thanks so much for listening to episode 11 of Second Story Work, the novel. If you enjoy my work, please shoot me a follow on Facebook or Instagram. My handle is at author Josh Sabalski. If you're on Twitter, I'm on there as well. You can find me at author Jay Sabalski. Lastly, I do host a podcast titled Second Story with my good friend Corey Lecky. It's not tied into this book, but I think it is something that you'd enjoy. Again, thanks for listening. Take care.